Good afternoon and welcome to One Hour at a Time. Recovery begins with education and host Mary Woods is here to educate individuals and families and provide support through the recovery process. Now here's your host, Mary Woods. Welcome everyone to One Hour at a Time. I'm Mary Woods, your host, and today we are going to be talking with Dr. Benaroche about addiction and mental health, the chicken or the egg, who is in control of that brain. First, let me introduce Dr. Benaroche, who is a graduate of the University of Buenos Aires in Argentina. He did his residency in psychiatry at the University of Rochester, New York, and he subsequently completed a fellowship in psychiatry at Yale University. Dr. Benaroche was a faculty member at Yale University's Department of Psychiatry for nine years, where he was the director of the transitional unit at the Yale Psychiatric Institute and the director of one of the outpatient divisions of the Connecticut Mental Health Center. Dr. Benaroche is a board-certified psychiatrist with over 30 years of psychopharmacology, psychotherapy, teaching, and research experience. He has been the medical director of Life Skills of Boca Raton for the past 10 years. He has also been involved in clinical medication trials, and he has a busy, extensive outpatient practice in Boca Raton, which he started in 1987. Welcome, Dr. Benaroche. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's a pleasure. So, um, you know, one of the things we often hear is which is primary, the addiction or the mental health issue when it comes to co-occurring disorders. And people really try to kind of compartmentalize one illness from the other. So our discussion today of the chicken or the egg is very timely. So what are your thoughts about which came first, the chicken or the egg? Well, you know, it's a, it's a complicated issue. Clearly, uh, over the years, uh, I think that our field has faced the the reality that a number of individuals who present with a substance abuse problem um, are more difficult to treat uh, or they relapse more frequently. Uh, and it's only in the last uh, 10, 15 years that we have uh, uh, been able to gather more information about a subset of those individuals, and, and it is it is fairly clear at this point that in, that one of the complications of the treatment of substance abuse is the fact that you're dealing with a coexisting psychiatric disorders in addition to the substance problem. Uh, now, in terms of the sequence, um, it is always difficult to tell, uh, but most psychiatric disorders tend to precede uh, the emergence of substance problems. When we think about um, substance use disorders and we think about psychiatric disorders, we often think about um, one being an illness, the mental health issues, and the substance use disorder is more of a behavioral problem. Um, oftentimes they get characterized as, well, addiction is something people do to themselves and mental illness is something that people have a genetic predisposition for. And um, what, what do you say to folks who believe that? Well, I, I think that we have, you know, quite a bit of information at this point about the fact that substance problems are uh, are illnesses, and as any other illness, uh, they may start with the voluntary access to the substance, but later on, uh, the choice that the person has uh, is greatly diminished. Uh, the way I tend to think about the, the coexistence of disorders is that, um, you know, there are a number of individuals who uh, have a what I would call a high misery level. Uh, 
meaning that they are unhappy, they are depressed, they are anxious, um, they are not functioning well in society. And for those individuals, uh, sometimes the access to a substance is a way out or a way to experiment and to feel connected with other individuals. And that's what we used to call the self-medication hypothesis of, uh, of, uh, of psychiatric disorders and substance problems. Uh, now, there's a subgroup of people, clearly, that enjoy using. They enjoy the high. They enjoy the excitement that goes with it. Uh, and these are individuals that tend to be impulsive. Um, and there are a variety of uh, conditions that, um, that increase the possibility of, of impulsivity. And you have there bipolar disorder, learning disorders, ADHD. Um, so, so it is not, uh, it's not unusual to think that there is a, a combination or a connection between psychiatric disorders, that some of them are pretty severe, some of them are less severe, and substance problems. Um, are there certain medications that are uh, more effective for people with substance use disorders? And are there certain medications that are more um, dangerous for people with substance use disorders when they have a co-occurring um, mental illness? Sure. That's, that's, the, uh, that, that's the big dilemma in our field because we're dealing with a moving target. Uh, most of the substance problems begin to emerge clearly in the late teens and early 20s. And most of the psychiatric disorders emerge in the late teens and uh, early 20s. So when you have that combination, you're left many times with a multi-layer cake that you need to begin to sort out very carefully in terms of what is a drug-induced problem, what is not a drug-induced problem, what is more lasting, what preceded what. Uh, now, in terms of uh, medications, there are a number of medications, obviously, that we would be far more careful uh, in using in someone with a history of substance problems. A good example is um, ADHD, Attentional Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder. We have data at this point from, from the Boston group showing that uh, actually uh, young youngsters who are treated with a potentially addictive substance like stimulants uh, have a much lower chance of uh, becoming uh, addicted to substances um, if they're treated early, uh, which is, you know, a, a very interesting way to look at this, that when you decrease symptoms of impulsivity and um, uh, lack of organization and, 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 and poor performance in school, you tend to uh, decrease the chances that the person is going to expose himself or herself to substances. And therefore, uh, the risk diminishes. Uh, the other good example is benzodiazepines in, in alcoholism. Um, there, you know, we're clearly far more careful in treating anxiety problems with benzodiazepines uh, like Valium or Xanax in individuals who are alcoholics or prone to using uh, uh, sedatives. So it's really important for someone with a substance use disorder to find a practitioner who's well-versed in um, the pharmacotherapy 
of addiction as well as the pharmacotherapy of, of mental illness. Absolutely. I, I would say that, that, you know, what is important to find is a, is a practitioner with a high level of suspicion and someone who is willing and able to research the, the problem. And that includes, you know, getting a good history, talking to relatives, getting a, a, an accurate um, uh, line and sequence of, uh, of, of events that have happened in that individual. Uh, because, of course, if, if, if a number of symptoms of depression or anxiety preceded by many years the appearance of, uh, of a substance problem, then we know that we are dealing with an anxiety problem and a substance uh, that complicates the picture later on. So someone who would really pay a lot of attention to the sequential uh, appearance of symptoms and, and corroborating the information with, uh, with relatives or, or friends is, is key because otherwise uh, we're making guesses. Um, I've, I've certainly worked with people who said that from the very first time they drank alcohol, took heroin or cocaine, they felt normal. Or they, they felt it's the first time that they really felt like other people. And what is it that you think causes that? Well, that's an interesting observation. And, you know, I always tell, uh, you know, families that, that you know, I have um, uh, two kinds of friends, the ones that have been um, exposed to opiates, for example, in after surgery, uh, who say, look, you know, I, can, I don't understand how addicts, uh, use opiates because I feel groggy and I feel disoriented and, uh, and I don't want to deal with that. And others who say exactly what you said before, which is I've never felt better in my life. Uh, I think that the difference has to do, number one, with our brain biochemistry. Uh, the moment that we feel that a substance is giving us a tremendous amount of calm or excitement, uh, we should be suspicious. Um, I think that has something to do then with our brain makeup and also with the fact that there are a number of conditions that are helped uh, transiently by a number of substances of abuse. So, um, you know, opiates, for example, have uh, are known to be very good antipsychotics, pretty good antidepressants sometimes. Um, so if there are... Uh, low levels of those uh, symptoms uh, existing, and then the person exposes himself or herself to a substance, uh, and they get a tremendous relief. That adds to the potential for addiction, in addition to the the high or the euphoria that they may experience. Um, the brain is a very complicated organism, isn't it? Certainly is, and 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 I think that. You know, in addition to being complicated, we have the extra problem of dealing with a brain that was not organized with the current uh, set of challenges that we're dealing with. Uh, we're not we're not uh, really wired to have food all over the place, uh, you know, available. We're not wired to deal with cognitive stressors or uh, a variety of stressors that the primitive man uh, didn't have to deal with. I mean, in 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 our uh, you know prehistoric uh, antecedents, we have 
you know, only a few things to deal with, you know, to get food, to Right, and we'll be right back to talk more about this in just a moment. We'll be right back. Thank you. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. Dad, can I ask you something? Sure, what's up? Um, there's this girl I kind of like. Well, if there's one thing I know, it's women. Really? Well, they didn't call me velvet for nothing. I don't get it. Smooth. I was smooth. Oh, anyway, it's easy. You just got to impress her. Show her how strong you are. Okay, but how? Just, I don't know, pick up a lot of heavy things around her. Like what? I don't know, desks, chairs, people. Grunt, if you have to. Grunt? Yeah, be like, Ugh! Try it. Ugh! Ugh! <laughs> See, there you go. And you should dress up. Start wearing a shirt and tie. I'll look like a dork. No, you'll look successful. Okay. And finally, you can start using my cologne. <clears throat> the ladies love it, so don't be shy. Splash it on. Thanks, Dad. You don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. When you adopt a child from foster care, just being there makes all the difference. To find out how you can adopt, please visit our website at adoptuskids.org or call 1-888-200-4005. A public service announcement brought to you by Adopt US Kids, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, and the Ad Council. A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guest, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Welcome back, everyone. Today we're talking with Dr. Benaroche from... Life Skills of Boca Raton, soon to be Life Skills of South Florida. And we were talking about mental health and addiction, the chicken or the egg, and who is in control of, of the brain. And prior to going to our break, um, Dr. Benaroche was beginning to talk a little bit about the dilemma that we face as treatment providers or for people who are receiving treatment in terms of um, what our brain was originally hardwired for and what we've evolved to as, as a human species. So, Dr. Benaroche, could you just kind of begin again about the primitive brain? Sure. Well, I, I think that the, the, the fascination of uh, what addiction really is comes from the neurobiological understanding that we have about how our uh, brain is, is wired. Our, our brains were wired to reward um, certain life um, basic uh, um, situations. For example, you you want an animal to be able to to drink, to be able to eat, to be able to have sex, to procreate, and to be able to protect itself. Uh, so we have a reward system 
uh, in our brain that is a, mostly a, a dopamine uh, circuit um, that um, that gets activated every time that we do one of those basic uh, life tasks. Uh, now, substances of abuse, interestingly enough, uh, go directly into that into those areas and hijack our brain uh, with a power that is. Um, in the in the probably the dozens and the hundreds uh, more than what the natural uh, um, you know foods or sex uh, would provide. I mean, a lot of cocaine addicts tell you that uh, when they uh, when they use crack for the first time, it was like uh, five times to ten thousand times more exciting than the best orgasm that they ever had. Um, so we're really. Uh, um, accessing an area of the brain that was meant to do other uh, basic functions uh, that is no longer being used for that. And how does that compound our treatment interventions? It, it compounds our treatment interventions because after a while that the brain is exposed to substances, uh, there is a plastic change. There is a, an alteration of the circuitry that facilitates it. Now, when that facilitation occurs and then there's a more and more decrease in the uh, secretion of dopamine, which is your reward system, uh, when the person tries to stop or when the person is able to stop uh, using, there's a flattening of responses. There is a lack of energy. There is a lack of enjoyment. uh, There is a, a discomfort that occurs that tends to lead to relapse very quickly. Uh, And then after a while, then the individual is basically using just to feel normal as opposed to feel uh, excited or feel high as they did initially. Um, Oftentimes when we're talking about substance use disorders, um, because we cannot, like, take a blood test and say, yes, you have it or, or no, you don't, people get confused about what's, what substance misuse, what substance abuse, and what substance dependence. And could you enlighten our audience a little bit on the differences? Sure. Uh, in, in our Western societies, most people uh, are exposed to substances of abuse, and they include, you know, nicotine, they include, uh, you know, caffeine, uh, opiates, uh, cocaine, stimulants. A variety of drugs are available, and a great majority of individuals are exposed to them. That is what I will call uh, use. Uh, Misuse is when a physician, for example, prescribes uh, pain medications to to a person who has low back pain, and then the prescription for 10, 15 Percocets disappears within 24 hours, and then the person calls saying, you know, I need more. So this is a person that is liking the drug uh, in a way that is more than normal. And that is a person who begins to seek then uh, more of the same uh, because of pleasure uh, or because of major relief. Uh, Someone who is an abuser is someone that um, is uh, beginning to use compulsively in spite of harmful consequences which is a very peculiar kind of notion because we're used to uh, deciding that we don't want to do 
touch a, a hot iron, for example, more than once because you have consequences. Here yeah. you're beginning to see that the brain is acting irrationally, is, is continues to use in spite of very harmful consequences, losing your house, losing your employment, losing your uh, girlfriend, um, uh, losing the support of your family. And then the last step is the person who becomes dependent, uh, and that is the ultimate uh, brain change that occurs when the individual is locked in. That individual is using in spite of consequences, and whenever they try to stop, they become obsessed with seeking that drug again. Uh, and the whole world centers around seeking the next uh, fix for, for their addiction. So when we think about... Um people who relapse or, or who um, we, we have to really kind of categorize uh, substance abuse and dependence really in terms of a chronic illness kind of uh, framework, that these are not illnesses that people can, quote, unquote, be cured from. There's no antibiotic that's going to make this all better. Very much so. From a behavioral point of view, the individual who is an abuser, uh, when they are threatened like a DUI or a number of legal consequences, uh, sometimes they can uh, stop using. You know, that's the whole idea of DUI school. In DUI school, um, uh, you know, the basic message is don't drink and drive, meaning try to moderate, try to curtail your use. It is rare the person in, in DUI school that is going to be mandated to go to long-term treatment or to attend meetings. Now, unfortunately, when the police stop someone with a DUI, they don't know who they're dealing with. The majority of them are people with a substance abuse problem. Maybe a minority that is undetected are substance-dependent individuals. Uh, people who are truly dependent uh, don't reason adequately. And so although you can ask them, why is it that you're seeking treatment at this particular time, and they tell you, well, it's because, you know, I, I wanted to do it or because I think it's about time, for the most part is when other people have pressured them into treatment. And I think that that's an important consideration, that being forced into treatment uh, has usually the same good outcome as people who volunteer into treatment when they're dependent on substances, if at some point during the process of treatment they buy into it. But I wouldn't expect someone who is a substance-dependent person to genuinely say, you know, I really want to stop using at this point because the biological pressures are enormous to continue to use. And we know that with any chronic illness, relapse is often um, part of what happens for people who have heart disease, diabetes, asthma. Um, that, that's just it's part of the nature of it. And that we don't characterize relapse and other chronic illnesses as um, treatment failures or um, the person having some type of inadequate willpower. Yet we do for people with substance use disorders. Very much so, because I think that we're still dealing with the old notions of addiction as only a bad choice. Uh, 
um, when in fact uh, is far more than that. I think you you gave a, a very good example that the relapse rate of addictions compared to heart disease or diabetes uh, and asthma is is quite comparable. Uh, so unfortunately, we need to think about relapses as part of the same uh, disease. And our hope when we're dealing with someone with a serious addiction is to either eliminate or minimize the relapses or or make them very infrequent as opposed to thinking that every time that someone relapses, uh, they're a treatment failure. How would you define a relapse? Well, um, I think that there are two ways to look at relapse. One one way to look at relapse is the person who is, um, um, you know, craving substances, who is either stressed or has access to a small amount of of, of a substance, who who is beginning to think, well, maybe I can handle this. Now that individual many times can have. Uh, an exposure to a substance, and then very quickly uh, turn around and say, look, you know, this is not what I want. I need to use my support system and, and stop the process. That some people call a lapse. A relapse is when someone is exposed to substances again and they go, uh, they, they use, and then they cannot stop. And then they go on for quite a while until until that that event stops. And we know that there are three major reasons why people relapse. One is stress. It happens in animals. It happens with us as well. The second is exposure to a situation uh, that reminds you of when you used people, places, and things. Um, and the third one is to to try a sip or to try a little bit. Uh, and again, we see this happening very clearly with rats who were addicted to any substance who are in remission for a while, and then they're exposed to a micro drop of cocaine solution. They're back addicted in the same way that they were several months prior to it. Um, you know, it's... it's so complicated when we start to think about um, addiction treatment because there are a number of um, theories in terms of how what, what is the best way for people to get sober. And I'm just wondering what your thoughts are on that. And we'll be right back to talk to you about that as soon as we take our commercial break. We'll be right back. Thank you. listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. 
This is an important programming note from the Voice America Women's Channel. The Catherine Zoff Show is moving. Our new address is Voice America, and we will be heard on Wednesdays at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern, starting Wednesday, November 19th. All of the archives will still be available through Catherine's Boombox Player. Remember, tune in to the Catherine Zoff Show on Wednesdays at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern, beginning on Wednesday, November 19th, on Voice America's flagship Voice America Channel. Your life, your health, your network. This is Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guest, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Welcome back, everyone. Today we're talking with Dr. Benaroche, who is the Medical Director of Life Skills of South Florida, and we're talking about addiction and mental illness. And prior to going to break, we were talking about different methods of treatment that are effective, and there are different schools of thought um, in terms of what's effective and what isn't. Is medication effective? Is medication not effective? So, Dr. Benaroche, in your experience, um, is there a magic bullet for addiction? Unfortunately not, Mary, um, and I think that we're going to, um, uh, it's going to be a long time until we find anything that is going to be even close to a magic bullet, but we we have improved our treatment uh, success and, and our treatment approaches for addictions quite a bit in the last few years. I think that the first uh, important element is to sort out the best way we can if the person uh, has a is is uh, abusing a substance or dependent on a substance, and in addition to that, do a good psychiatric assessment to uh, ascertain if there are other complications that need to be addressed and treated. Um, because if we don't treat that comorbid disorder, the chances for relapse are uh, much higher. So that's number one. Number two, a number of our um, uh, treatments, psychosocial treatments, now are quite effective. Uh, cognitive behavioral treatment, of course, AA and NA, um, uh, double trouble, which is another support system that is very important for people who have both a psychiatric and a substance abuse problem. Uh, um, a number of specialized treatments like uh, dialectical behavioral uh, therapy for uh, uh, patients who are highly impulsive uh, and or have borderline uh, traits, uh, which is a, a mood instability. Um, uh, trauma, if the person has been uh, traumatized and there are elements of, of post-traumatic stress disorder. In addition to that, we have in our momentarium now quite a few and promising medications to decrease the chances for relapse. Um, and uh, at this point, there are, uh, there are medications that seem to decrease the discomfort uh, that the individual has after detox that sometimes, you know, people call it post, uh, post-acute withdrawal. Uh, there are medications that decrease glutamate in the brain that seem to decrease that discomfort and therefore delay or eliminate the possibility of, of a relapse because of discomfort. 
there's naltrexone, which is a very interesting medication uh, that we're beginning to use quite a bit in alcoholics and in individuals who abuse opiates. Uh, is an opiate blocker, uh, and it decreases the pleasure of drinking. Uh, and therefore, the person who is motivated can uh, delay or postpone uh, uh, episodes of heavy drinking uh, much more successfully. Um, and then there are a number of medications that are um, we can call them a harm reduction approach, uh, although I think that, that, you know, we can quibble on, on that a little bit. Uh, the, the issue there has to do with, uh, is it better to substitute a drug that we can control better and that is less harmful, uh, rather than to have that person try to obtain it on the street? And that, that has been the general, uh, uh, notion about methadone maintenance uh, for many years. Now, methadone maintenance, uh, like it or not, is still the most successful treatment for opiate dependence that we we have and that we ever had. Uh, has a number of problems uh, that are actually alleviated by a newcomer in the field, which is buprenorphine, uh, suboxone. Uh, now, there are some people in our field who feel that after using opiates for a long time, there is a uh, lack of, um, there, there is a, a, a lack of calibration of the opiate receptors that make that person far more likely in the future to relapse if they are totally off opiates. Um, Suboxone so that I use quite a bit is, is a very useful uh, medication that not only helps you detox very rapidly from opiates, but it, but the the beauty of buprenorphine is that you can keep it on for several months until the person's life is far more stable, and then it's much easier to come off buprenorphine or suboxone than it is uh, from from methadone or or other opiates. It also gives the brain a chance to heal and kind of rebound from the depression that it has encountered as a result of the uh, opiate dependence. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, and, you know, I the other big advantage of, of Suboxone is that uh, most of the um, detoxes that are not very complicated can be done in a doctor's office uh, without having to go into a hospital. Um, you mentioned earlier um, the whole concept of harm reduction, and often in the addiction treatment profession, harm reduction is kind of seen as a dirty word, so to speak. And um, what are your thoughts on harm reduction in treatment of addiction? Well, harm reduction, I think, has a major role to play. Uh, and uh, I was thinking about the analogy with uh, uh, asthma uh, in people who are smokers. I mean, you have two options. Either either asthmatics go to see their physician and they're told, well, you got to stop smoking or if not, I cannot help you, or you can continue to persuade the person to decrease the amount of smoking, to um, uh, to take the medications that you need to take in order to minimize the problem. In substance problems, uh, I think that harm reduction, is, you know, is, is critical because there's a, a huge number of uh, uh, the addicted population that is exposed to a number of 
very risky and problematic disorders. You know, we're talking about hepatitis C, we're talking about HIV, uh, a number of uh, uh, sexually transmitted diseases, uh, that if there's a chance for that person to be able to be more stable and to begin to uh, build up their lives, they're going to be far more incentivized to, uh, um, uh, to pursue treatment later on. Uh, so I think harm reduction um, makes a lot of sense, um, especially knowing that the, there's a very small percentage of addicts uh, that are in treatment at any given time. The enormous majority are not even, uh, don't even appear in the radar screen of, of treaters. Right, and I think oftentimes treatment is seen as a vent rather than a process and that um, the process of treatment includes engaging someone, um, providing incentives to want to be sober. There's the Housing First initiative. Um, you know, when people have lost everything, it's kind of hard to motivate them when there's nothing else to lose. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, you need to have some things going well for you in order to think um, that you have the motivation and the energy uh, to, to, to deal with treatment. Treatment is not an easy task. Uh, uh, I, I think that there is a misconception that, that addicts many times, and I think a few do, go to posh places just to rest. But someone who is really motivated to get off substances and who also suffers from a mental health disorder is someone who is really battling very tough conditions uh, that are constantly um, lurking behind them in terms of uh, uh, impairing their ability to function. I know. For a number of years, everybody said, well, just say no. And I think that was a huge detriment to um, people's perception of addiction treatment, people's perception of substance use disorders, and that um, this isn't about willpower. It's about a brain disease. Very much so. Um, now, I, I think that we need to be careful. I, 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 you know, I, I don't think that we're saying that people with addictions uh, don't have any willpower because otherwise they wouldn't uh, engage in treatment. Uh, so there is willpower there. Uh, but the willpower of someone who is dependent on substances is greatly impaired uh, compared to the person who can make a choice, you know, like buying this or that in a, in a supermarket. So um, I think that uh, when we look at, you know, who's in control of the brain, it's really hard for anybody to be in control of the brain when there's substances on board. Very much so. I would say that in general we need to give addicts the benefit of the doubt that who is in control of their brain is actually the substances that they have been consuming and that they come up with a number of rationalizations to explain why is it that they're using or why is it that they want to stop. But the reality is that if you can induce uh, addiction to an enormous degree in any mammal, uh, it's very clear that, uh, uh, that we are subjected by the same physical and biological laws. And that we know also that... Um People can recover from 
addiction, they can recover from substance use disorders, and that their brain can, can heal and regain um, some of the maybe memory impairment that, that has occurred in early recovery or some of the other um, cognitive impairments that they've experienced. Yes, our brain, uh, fortunately, uh, we were told, uh, you know, the wrong message uh, when I went to medical school that uh, that the brain doesn't regenerate. Uh, to the contrary, the brain is a very active healing uh, organ uh, that can make all kinds of very um, helpful connections uh, when when given the the right opportunity. Um, if you were to give someone um, who is listening uh, advice in terms of looking for treatment. One of the things you said that it's really important to find somebody who will work with you and who will do a thorough assessment. Um, is there any other thing that someone should be looking for in terms of, of treatment that's important? Well, in, in my view, I think that the, the, the person needs to uh, connect with the treater uh, and go in with a support system or with their family. Um, and then the, the type of uh, evaluation that they receive is what they will give them the clue if that person is thorough and comprehensive in order to look at all the angles from this or someone who just wants to deal with one disorder or, or another may be overlooking a number of other factors that may be contributing to the problem. Thank you. And we'll be right back with our final segment with Dr. Benaroche. A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health and Wellness. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. This is an important programming note from the Voice America Women's Channel. The Catherine Zoff Show is moving. Our new address is Voice America, and we will be heard on Wednesdays at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern, starting Wednesday, November 19th. All of the archives will still be available through Catherine's Boombox Player. Remember, tune in to the Catherine Zoff Show on Wednesdays at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern, beginning on Wednesday, November 19th, on Voice America's flagship Voice America Channel. Dad, can I ask you something? Sure. There's this girl I kind of like. Say no more. You just have to impress her. Okay, but how? Just, I don't know, pick up a lot of heavy things around her. Like what? You know, desks, chairs, people. Grunt if you have to. Grunt? Yeah, be like, oh! Uh, oh! Uh. There you go. You don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. When you adopt a child from foster care, just being there makes all the difference. To learn more, call 1-888-200-4005. A public service announcement brought to you by Adopt US Kids, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, and the Ad Council. Ever seen a hornet, Shelly? No, ma'am. Oh, well, you're five. What are you waiting for? They've built a nest outside your window. See? No. You will when you climb 15 feet up this ladder to get rid of them. Take this insecticide and broom. <laughs> and send those stinging meanies packing. 
What if I fall? I could get hurt. Oh, you know about gravity already. You're so smart. Oh, go, 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 go. The hornets are waiting. Shoot, get away. Ah! Play with them, dear. Hornets hate high pitch noises. Yeah, uh, try not to swallow too many. Get away. Knock that nest out of the park. You wouldn't treat your child like an adult. So why put them in adult seat belts? If they're under four foot nine, they need a booster seat. When I found out my jeans were made using child labor in sweatshops, I wrote a letter to the company saying reconsider your labor practices. A few months later, I get a letter back saying thanks for being a loyal customer, and they included a coupon for a 25% discount on their jeans. So I got smart, wrote letters every day to all the stores that carry the brand, asking them to stop supporting the companies who use child labor in sweatshops. And I just kept getting letters back, thanking me for my concerns, and more coupons for more discounts on more jeans. So I'm telling my friend about it, and she flips out, saying that between all the letters and coupons, some paper company cut down a small forest, driving off two indigenous tribes, hundreds of endangered animals, killing thousands of plant species, some of which may contain vaccines for HIV, cancer, and syphilis. Meanwhile, the guys cutting down the trees are 13-year-old kids who will work night and day for months just to save up enough money to buy a pair of jeans made by child labor in sweatshops. Saving the world isn't easy, but saving a life is. Just one pint of blood can save up to three lives. Visit bloodsaves.com to learn more. This public service announcement was brought to you by the Ad Council. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guest, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Welcome back to One Hour at a Time. Our guest today is Dr. Ben Roche from... Life skills of what's soon to be South Florida. Dr. Benaroche, um, it's been my experience as a nurse and, and as a late act that um, there are very few doctors that really specialize in addiction medicine, and I'm wondering how you decided to do it, for which I'm grateful that you did, but and why is it that you think more doctors don't specialize in addiction treatment? Well, uh, two answers. One is that up until uh, recently, um, it was not terribly exciting for a psychiatrist or for a physician to get involved in, in substance problems because they were considered to be behavioral and social problems. Uh, so it is only now when we have all the extra information about the brain chemistry and the brain circuitry that has become far more popular and, and more exciting. Uh, how did I get into it? Uh, I I got into addictions through a very circuitous uh, um, uh, loop. Uh, I was interested in obsessive compulsive disorder, and I did quite a bit of work at uh, at Yale uh, on obsessive compulsive disorder. And then when I was faced with a number of patients who had addictions, it it, it, it really struck me that these uh, individuals have a type of compulsivity that is very similar to OCD. In OCD, basically, we encourage individuals to 
resist their impulses in spite of their feeling uh, uncomfortable. Um, and that's basically what we do from a cognitive uh, and behavioral perspective with addicts. And um, how long have you been at Life Skills? And can you tell us uh, what Life Skills is and how it got started? Uh, Life Skills is a residential treatment center for uh, young patients, uh, usually in the late teens or mid twenties, uh, up to uh, the thirties, uh, who have a comorbid uh, psychiatric uh, and uh, substance problem. Uh, because of our interest in psychiatric disorders, uh, we we deal very well with people who have fairly serious psychiatric disorders in addition to their addiction. So we have a very well cross-trained staff that is able to deal with uh, um, moderately uh, uh, severe uh, psychotic disorders, uh, autism, uh, bipolar disorder, in addition to uh, persons with uh, post-traumatic stress disorder and, uh, and mood disorders. Uh, so essentially what we do is a very thorough assessment, uh, the, the length of stage, usually about uh, 60 to 90 days. And, and the uniqueness of, of a residential treatment center is that the patients live in apartments in a very um, normalized kind of environment. Uh, they come in during the day for treatment. Uh, and then they gradually move on in terms of having less and less structured time and more and more school or work uh, that is supported uh, by the staff that has been working with them. So it's, it's like a laboratory for life. Um, initial assessment, then a number of, uh, of specialized treatments, and then trying to uh, mainstream that person into society with outpatient support. You mentioned during the break that you're moving from Boca Raton to a new campus. Can you tell us what the new campus is going to be like? Uh, the new campus that we're going to move into is going to be self-contained. At this point, we have a series of, of apartments where the uh, patients live, and then we have a set of offices uh, within... 500, 500 yards or so of, of the apartments. Uh, in, in Deerfield Beach, uh, which is about 15 minutes uh, south of, of Boca Raton, we're going to have a, a self-contained uh, campus. We're going to have the offices there and uh, um, individual uh, condominiums where the patients uh, live and cook and shop and, and uh, uh, try to have as much of a normal life as possible. And how how many condominiums will you have? How many? How many condominiums will you have? Uh, the total, uh, we're a small facility, so we're, uh, we have a capacity of about 28 to 32 uh, patients, uh, and we're in the process of working through a, a, a step down from that that would be transitional living as well, um, that we currently have only for males. So how could people get a hold of you if they'd want to learn more about um, addiction and mental health or uh, life skills? Uh, let me give you the toll-free number for life skills is 800-749-7149. Okay. 
800-749-7149. And our admissions uh, team is, is terrific, so they can, uh, you know, talk extensively with people about what their needs are and refer them and, and, and uh, make a number of recommendations if necessary. Um, just kind of the last topic, which is one of my favorite ones, is the training of uh, physicians in, in addictive disorders. And there seems to be very little of it in medical school, and I'm wondering what your thoughts on. How did you learn? Uh, I think you're absolutely correct. Unless, unless a psychiatrist, uh, for example, uh, chooses to have a fellowship in, in addictions or uh, later on, they join a, an organization like ASUM, and they, uh, you know, have some experience with that. Um, it is very difficult. Uh, there's really no formal training at this point uh, in medical school other than a fairly brief uh, introduction to it. And that is why, unfortunately, we tend to see a number of physicians from various specialties who uh, are either... Um, not really aware of what treatments are available or they have this gut reaction against uh, addicts uh, that are constantly showing up in emergency rooms and they don't know what to do with them, essentially. Um, for any of you listening that are looking for um, a specialist in addictive disorders, the American Society of Addiction Medicine has a website which you can help locate doctors. And um, if you're looking for a doctor, always ask, what has been your training and experience addictions and or mental health disorders. I want to thank Dr. Benaroche for joining us today and have a great week everybody. appreciate you joining us today for one hour at a time. Successful recovery from a substance abuse problem or mental illness depends on education and support of loved ones. Thank you for being that support system. Be sure to tune in next week for another hour of education and compassion. One hour at a time. We'll see you next week.